This is Educate for Life with Kevin Conover on AM 1170, The Answer. Educate for Life, a look at current events from today's headlines and how they affect you. What you believe shapes your worldview and your ultimate destiny. Learn more now at educateforlife.com. Now, in studio, here is your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego, every Sunday from 4 to 5 p.m. And I just want to thank you for tuning in this evening. You can stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. And my website is educateforlife.org. And uh, you can pick up a recording of the show if you'd like on my website. You know, uh, if you've been keeping uh, in touch with the news. If you've been looking at things, there's some crazy stuff happening in our world today. And uh, one of the most recent things that happened just in the past week is that the U.S. Department of Education has found that a Chicago area school district discriminated against a transgender student by failing to provide him with full access to the girls' locker rooms, specifically the showers. So you can check this out. It's all over the web. It's all over the news. Basically, there's a boy who says he's a girl in a school in Chicago, and basically he wanted to use the girls' the girls' uh, locker room, restroom, and... The school said, look, we, we're not comfortable with this. A bunch of parents said, we're not comfortable with this. You've got a boy in here with 14-year-old girls and, uh, and getting undressed and everything. And so uh, they said, we're not going to allow this to take place. They actually, what they did was they provided a curtain to go around him so that he could change inside the curtain uh, and be away from the girls, but in the girls' locker room. So they were even trying to accommodate uh, the, the, this request. But the Obama administration has said that this is not good enough. And uh, basically, this is Township High School, District 211. And they said, look, uh, essentially, this is from the U.S. Secretary of Civil Rights. And she said this, all students deserve the opportunity to participate equally in school programs and activities. This is a basic civil right. And they made the case that, look, if the school doesn't do what they're told to do, uh, it could mean loss of funding for the school. This is a public school that's going to lose funding because there's a, a boy who says he's a girl who wants to change in a girl's locker room. Now, the reason I start the show off tonight with this story is because there are so many crazy things happening in our country. There's another story about a football coach who was recently fired for praying after football games at a public school on the 50-yard line. He was fired, let go of his job, simply for praying after the football game on the 50-yard line and uh, had been a football coach for, I believe, around eight years at the school. Very, very much loved and liked. So there's all, all kinds of stuff happening that seems very strange. And my guest tonight is an expert on what it means to be involved in politics from a biblical perspective. His name is Frank Kaser. Frank, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Kevin, it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. A little bit about Frank. He's a pastor elder. He's been a pastor elder for 25 years at Grace Bible Church in Escondido here in Southern California. He's a physicist by training. Uh, we won't be talking too much about that tonight, but um, but uh, that's pretty, pretty awesome. Not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's been heavily involved in Christian activism for 25 years, written a lot of columns, 160 columns approximately, 
and op-eds on biblical politics, including the Washington Times and other outlets. And uh, on a personal, more personal note, been married for 42 years, has three kids. Now, that's that's a miracle in and of itself, marriage for 42 years, right? <laughs> yeah. Only because it's Christ-centered. That's right. That's what I appreciate. That's right. Today's day and age. So, um, Frank has uh, recently founded a, a program called the Christian Statesman Internship Program. It's had tremendous success in its... Um, you know, in its start here. And I wanted to have Frank on the air just to share with us his perspective on what does it mean to be involved um, biblically in politics and so forth. And Frank, I'm sure you get this a lot. You know, people cry theocracy or separation of church and state. And uh, can you can you help us uh, understand what why did you see a need for a program like this? And tell us a little bit more about the, this program. Well, I those of us who are a little longer of tooth and been around for quite some time have noticed uh, uh, the tremendous decay of our culture or society. You know, we're, as a Christian, we're very, very well aware of this. And the, the question comes up, what is our real role? And if you look at salt and light, uh, the different other biblical mandates and imperatives that we currently have, you know, as far as um, uh, loving our neighbors ourselves, spreading the gospel. But the salt and light one specifically, I think we've, we've kind of um, turned our back a little bit on it for a variety of reasons, either through apathy, lack of leadership. Um, now, we're salt prosperous. Light, you're, yeah, you're salt and light, Frank. You're referring to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, I take that one really to heart. I mean, I think that that's our, that's our biggest challenge, if you will. I call that the, our, our great challenge, where the other ones are a great commandment and a great uh, commission. Yeah. That for is our, a great challenge. For our listeners who, who are, are potentially not familiar with salt and light, uh, can you explain that? Sure. Uh, 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 Christ at the Sermon on the Mount said basically we're to be the salt of the earth and, and the light. And the salt is to be the, the one that provides, uh, uh, it preserves things, it disinfects things. Uh, if you're worth your salt, that's an old historical term, you know, it's the same thing as we're to be pure. But we're to have that godly influence, and we don't do that by taking the savor away and removing it and just hiding. And uh, I think for the last generation, at least over my time on this earth, we've seemed to have withdrawn from being that actively engaged salt in the environment around us. We've, my, my contention is we're very prosperous, we're comfortable. Yeah, we've had problems here and there and wherever else, but in reality— Government has not, until fairly recently, truly turned its hooks into us and tried to control every virtually every aspect of our life and our living, whether it's our schools, our families, how we drive on the road, whatever it may be. And part of it is, I think we haven't provided that influence to make them, you know, perform the uh, make the take the right decisions they're supposed to make in order to make this a a safe environment for us to live, raise our families, and do what God's called us to do. The light is the same way. If we withhold righteousness, if we don't stand for righteousness in the public forum, who will? You know, yeah. we're called to do that. Nobody yeah. else would do that for us. We as as believers are the only salt and light in the world. The government is not and really can't be. Okay, so I you're, there's a verse on the front of your flyer here. It says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule the people grown. And uh, that's uh, very appropriate, I would say. I, I mean, it, obviously, this is the case. We see this in countries around the world, and we can see it in our own country, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, somebody who is doing what's right in a particular city, in a particular state, uh, it, it's going to affect us, whether that's the crushing exactly. debt that we have in our country that is putting a burden on 
people. They they have to pay more taxes in order to try to make up for that debt. Uh, and then schools don't get the money they need. Streets don't get the money they need. Uh, if somebody's not managing the finances well and, and being somebody who's morally upright and handling those finances. Exactly right. Uh, yeah, I kind of put it this way. Our, our government, our entire system of government is based on one uh, premise, and that is it asks its citizens what are the laws that should be implemented and who should rule over us? And my contention is, if we don't answer that question, somebody else is more than happy to do that. And they're not going to share our worldview. They're not going to share our values. They're not going to share the morals that we believe are important and are consistent with God's righteous path for us to, to pursue, um, which is actually, it's right for everybody to pursue, whether a person's a believer or a Christian or not. It's, it's in their best interests to follow that path. And if we don't answer that question, what the government asks us for, others will, and we're not going to like the results. Mm. Okay, so uh, that's that's great. And, you know, the question I have is, you know, you see this a need for this program here, and you said that, hey, people haven't been the salt that they need to be. They haven't been the light that they need to be. Exactly. And I guess my question would be, what has changed over time that mm. the the influence of people who are good, people who are moral, people who believe in Christian values, what, what has caused that to diminish? Um, why has that happened? And, you know, how can we regain that? Well, I think we have some historical perspective we can turn to. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament Israel did the same thing. Uh, God's promise to them was, hey, if you obey my commands, if you worship me, if you commit your life to me, I will bless you beyond anything in your imagination. But if you turn away from me, if you turn to yourselves, if you become prosperous and fat and happy and turn from depending upon me and trusting me, these curses will fall upon you. I think the same thing is true in our, in, in this last generation at least. Uh, we have become an incredibly prosperous country. We're the, we're the biggest dog in the world as far as militarily and economics, you name it. We, we lead the pack. Yeah, we. So uh, it, fundamentally, we've done the same thing Old Testament Israel did. We've turned our backs on God in general. There's exceptions, but in general, that's what's happened. Okay. My guest tonight is Frank Kaser. Uh, we're going to have a very interesting conversation about what does it mean to be a Christian today in politics, in government? Uh, who, who do we vote for? How do we make decisions about laws and so forth? So stay with us. We'll be right back. What do leading local restaurants have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at expressfixcoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. 619-867-3853. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. 
Add historic American beauty to your home today with genuine Amish furniture. It's built in the USA from solid cherry wood with a bourbon finish. Or choose alternative woods and finishes to accent your home's decor. You'll find it all at Tucker's Valley Furniture. For over 65 years, the Tucker family has served San Diego County. Still family-owned, Cash and Carry and Tucker's Valley Furniture. Two stores, both right across the street at Main and Mollison in El Cajon. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. I will cast my cares on you. You're the anchor of my hope, the only one who's in control. Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. And you can stream the show all over the world at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. And I actually have a whole bunch of classes on what we're talking about tonight. I've got uh, classes on the issue of separation of church and state. What does that mean? Where did it come from? Is it in the Constitution? Uh, Where did we get the idea of separation of church and state? Because it actually is not in the Constitution. And... Uh, what is it? What is the interplay between the church and the government? Um, obviously, the church is not supposed to be the government and the government's not supposed to be the church. So how are they supposed to interact? And uh, my guest tonight is an expert on these issues. His name's Frank Kaser, and uh, he has started a program called the Christian Statesman Internship Program. And Frank, uh, I want to give the floor over to you here just to tell us about this program. What, what is this program? What does it do? Uh, and it's already up and running, but for those who are interested in getting involved in the future, how do they do that? Well, good question. Uh, this is brand new. It's, it'll probably be around 10 sessions once a month. Uh, you, a person has to enroll in it. Uh, but basically what it's trying to do is the, the premise is if you're a Christian, you're a leader and you're, you're going to be a leader in your own home, in your neighborhood, your community, civically or even in public office or elective office doesn't make any difference wherever we are wherever god's giftedness takes us uh, and uses us we are a people of influence and so i keyed on the word statesman because i believe statesman captures what we're to be we're to be mature in handling god's word standing for righteousness but do it in an articulate way with the world around us so we influence them for our good their good for the defense of our religious liberties and also, ultimately, to continue to provide that environment in our nation for the spread of the gospel. Ultimately, that's what it's about. And so I, I like that word statesman. As a matter of fact, I use this, this definition of it for this whole course. What I define as a Christian statesman is a person with biblical convictions that exhibits great wisdom and ability in directing the affairs of a government or in dealing with important public issues. And I would maintain... Uh, Government has virtually touched every single thing that impacts our life one way or another. You cannot wake up in the morning and go to bed at night. It's very difficult with it to find something that government hasn't regulated, controlled, made illegal, made legal, you know, through public policy, laws, what have you. They're in everything. So politics, the political realm, is uh, touches everything in our life. Because of that, the more conscious we are of that, and we can engage those issues of the day, as a Christian, we're going to have opportunity then to engage that for the common good. Mm. But we have to be equipped to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see, uh, you know, the issue in Ohio, excuse me, in Ohio recently, um, just, just I believe, last week, uh, the, the Ohio voters rejected um, legalizing marijuana. And uh, that's fantastic. You know, that's 
Uh, good news among a lot of other issues that are a real struggle. We talked about the transgender situation in the last segment. And, you know, we've got things going all, all over the place with the uh, the whole issue of uh, florist who was fined for not being participating in a, a homosexual wedding or, or a baker who was fined for not participating, participating in a homosexual wedding. And you have these different issues uh, that are just going to become more and more prevalent. We have the issue with Kim Davis, who said she wasn't going to issue uh, marriage uh, licenses to to people. And so uh, we want to figure out how do we take what we know about the Bible, because the Bible tells us to love people. But at the same time, how do we do that while also upholding the law? And what does that mean? Um, So you know, how do you, how do you deal with some of these issues? And when somebody says, are you trying to set up a theocracy, Frank, you know, are you trying to have like, uh, the priests run the country? Um, how do you respond to something like that? (laughs) Well, I I basically start by saying uh, in all my years as a Christian, which is probably about close to, um, 40 years, uh, I have yet to meet somebody, a Christian that wants to turn our country into a theocracy. Mm. Uh, that is a common myth that the other side uses against us because they, when they try to equate us with um, uh, radical Islam or some other uh, uh, religious uh, Yeah, because Sharia that, law is actually saying, yes, we want yeah, exactly. Sharia to be the law, but that's not what Christians are doing. No, exactly not. Uh, we, the, the, the biblical mandate for Christians is that we are a holy nation already. As Christians, as the body of Christ, we're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. We're a nation unto ourselves. It's not constrained or refined down to a national border. It's so, almost a spiritual uh, a spiritual kingdom. Is exactly. Yeah. That's why, as you're a Christian, if you go around the world and you meet another Christian for the first time, you find out very quickly there's, there's some... There's a camaraderie there immediately. And that's, mm-hmm. part, that's you know, kind of a witness to the fact that we share a common spirit. But as far as a nation, I find no biblical mandate that Christians are to take over a country. Because mm. I, I, my contention is, if Christians were to do that, and historically I think this has been demonstrated, it will just be a matter of time, a generation or two, before that combining of the church and the state becomes just as intolerant as any other state or tyranny that's existed in the world. So how would you respond to somebody? You know, there's the organization freedom, the freedom from religion foundation, and they're uh, talking about the separation of church and state. So you, you sound like you're not talking about, you know, us taking over the government, you know, Christians taking over the government, but at the same time, so how does that play out with being a statesman, like you're saying, a Christian statesman who applies a biblical worldview, but at the same time, you're still not trying to take over. What, so, so what does that mean? How does that? Uh... Well, there's some, there's some presuppositions in that. One is if we follow God's path, I think the data, the statistics will show that's in, every, in a person's good. It, it'll do them well. Give me an example of what, what you mean when you say we follow God's path. Do you have um, a practical example that you could? Sure. If you're, if you're celibate before marriage and it's only sex within marriage, I, I, will, I would predict that statistically you can show that marriage will survive better. The more um, sexually immoral you are over a period of, long period of time prior to that, you, there are certain things. That, there's aspects to your character and your integrity and your honesty and, and respect for each other that are not going to be there, and it's going to be destructive in that marriage, probably. I, I think a, a lot of secularists, uh, a lot of uh, people who don't believe in the Christian worldview are actually recognizing the damage that certain sexual immoral lifestyles actually do to your relationship. 
that the quote sexual revolution actually was a sexual de-evolution. It actually hurt people, didn't make people better to say free love and all those things, kind of like what you're saying. That data has been around for a long time. It's reality. Anybody who looks at that uh, objectively would come to the same conclusion, but that's not what's being touted. That's not what gets the press either in movies or in the media or news, what have you. So uh, sexual licentiousness, matter of fact, is promoted and encouraged. So there, there's going to be a downfall, a destructive aspect of that that society is going to, going to suffer from. The same I, thing is true whether you have a, a mother and a father and a family raising children. Yeah. What's the best? Well, a single, a single parent may be able to do it. There may be circumstances that require that. But in reality, you need both the mother's and father's influence on the raising of those, those children. Okay, so you're saying statistically, if you look at parenting even, that the children are going to do better if they follow the biblical admonition to stay together as opposed to not staying together. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so so are you saying that in general you believe that that we should take the Bible as a whole and begin to apply it to culture and begin to impose our morality on uh, the rest of the culture. Some people would say, Hey, that's not right. You're imposing your morality on, <laughs> on us. Uh, who, who, you know, who are you to do that? Are you saying that your morality is better than, than other people's morality? <laughs> well, the government imposes morality whenever it passes a law. The question that comes up is whose morality should rule and is in the best interest of this nation and the individual citizens that, that reside within the nation. Um, I cannot impose my reality on some other person. I can try to bring conviction. I can try to reason with them. All those things are aspects that we can talk about something, but I can't force them. A government, unfortunately, or fortunately, has the power to enforce law. Mm. So in reality, what is the best moral basis that government should be entrusted to take care of? And I would maintain God's way is the best. I mean, that's been proven, I think, historically. Yeah. Uh, And if you look at the data, if you can find it, I think it would justify that and prove that. It would show the credibility. In all aspects, you're saying? In in virtually every aspect. Now, if you're talking about stoning people because of certain sin, like in the Old Testament, no. (laughs) I'm talking about, you you have to, there's wisdom come to play here when when you talk about applying civil laws that are appropriate for everybody. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to talk more about that because I'm sure people want to hear about that. Uh, My guest tonight is Frank Kaser. He's an expert on uh, applying the Bible to politics. And he has a program called the Christian Statesman Internship Program uh, that goes for about 10 months. We'll be right back. We're going to continue this discussion about how you apply the Bible to politics. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. Not all home inspections are created equal. Joe DeMars and his team at Housemaster have performed inspections in San Diego for 22 years plus and performed over 10,000 inspections for commercial, multiple family, apartments, and residential. Call before you buy or sell. You'll have confidence knowing the true condition of the property. Call 619-660-7866, sandiego.housemaster.com. Home inspections, done right, guaranteed. 619-660-7866. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 
619-222-0766. I'm giving it all away. No more hiding. No more stalling. I hear you calling me. Thanks for tuning in to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer, in San Diego every Sunday, 4 to 5 p.m. Love to have you uh, tune in every week. You can also check this, check us out on the podcast, also on our YouTube channel, uh, Educate for Life video. Got uh, tons of shows up there about all kinds of interesting subjects. And because we're rolling in here to the to 2016 and we're going to be dealing with all these different presidential candidates, I thought it was appropriate to to get informed about how do we make good decisions about who we vote for. We got all these, especially in the Republican primaries, we got all these candidates to choose from. How do we know which is the right one that we should be focusing on? I want to read this quote. This is a quote from our second president, John Adams. And it's a pretty powerful quote. It says this, Statesmen, my dear sir, may plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. I mean, that, that's a kind of a statement there. You got to just let it kind of uh, meditate in your brain. You got to kind of let it um, sit there and... Uh, because you got to think about that. What is he saying? How can he say that liberty, which is freedom, can only securely stand with religion and morality? How is that? How is that true? Is he saying that without religion and morality, you cannot have freedom? My guest is Frank Kaser, and he's an expert on this. So I'm going to ask him that question. Frank, what does John Adams mean here by making that? That's a pretty bold statement that he's making. <laughs> That's a bold statement. Yeah. I, I think he's really true. Uh, and what he's saying. But one thing that the founders had as far as a concept of liberty was that there was responsibilities associated with that. Uh, freedom tends to be something that's talked about in our generation as something you can do whatever you want as long as you don't impact somebody else negatively. That's right. Who, and who so that's you? a major perversion of what was really intended by the founders when they talk about liberty. Okay. So yeah. So so people will say, hey, liberty, that means I should be able to do whatever I want. Libertarian, right? Libertarian. Are you a libertarian? Uh, no, I'm not. No, you're not. Okay. So interesting because, right, libertarians say, look at we need to allow people to do pretty much anything. We need to allow them to be able to do drugs and they'll face the consequences for those drugs, whatever it is, whether it's pot or, or drinking alcohol or even doing heroin or whatever, they'll face the consequences and they'll, they'll learn on their own that that's not what you should do. And, you know, the problems will decrease because, uh, you legalized, you know, kind of like they talk about bring up, bring up prohibition and say, look at yeah. prohibition didn't work. You tried to make a rule, not that alcohol couldn't be there. And so if we had legalized it, we eliminate the problem. Um, so can you, can you kind of expand on that? How religion provides freedom? Well, I, you know, and I can, I can understand that argument that people should take responsibility for their own lives yeah. and they will suffer the consequences yeah. of both good decisions and bad decisions. The problem is that a person making that decision to be a, a, a heroin addict or drug addict or whatever else affects others also. And in a society of any type of society, your actions are not just for you. If you have a family, it's going to affect them. If it's if there's costs associated with taking care of that person or incarcerating them. What about a victimless c- crime like uh, gambling or prostitution? Is- uh, I don't believe there's such a thing as a victimless crime. Okay, interesting. Personally. Yeah. Why, so explain to me, why, why do you not believe that? Somebody's harmed somewhere along the line. If it, vi- if it's a, if it violates God's moral standards, there's a downside to it. And even in prostitution, it's a, it's a denigration of somebody, it, and it's a payment. It's cheapening something that's a gift from God. So 
it, 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 both are losing from that, and society is losing if it condones that or so, encourages so, that. So what you're saying is that freedom only goes to the extent that it's actually moving uh, people forward. People don't have the freedom to do something that's going to be a detriment to them. We, we know, I mean, everybody would agree that people don't have the freedom to do something that's going to hurt somebody else. But do they have the freedom to do something that is going to be uh, detrimental to them? You're saying that there is no really victimless crime. Right. I, w- I would say, well, uh, in that sense, they're free to do that. Mm. That's called sin. Okay. If it violates what is the, the moral standard of God, that's sin. And there's consequences of that sin. So they, they are harming themselves. In our society, though, I would maintain it's very difficult to harm yourself without impacting somebody else mm. somehow. So there's a larger responsibility there. Um, sure, people will, will make decisions. They'll, they'll decide to <laughs> uh, do something to themselves. But in reality, who are they harming? They're harming themselves. They're violating God's standards, probably. Mm-hmm. And it, it cannot be uh, constructive. How can it be constructive? I see what you're so saying. I, so even in drugs, t- person taking drugs, uh, there's an impact. Uh, it, it's going to impact... Society trying to—by we, the way, we're a compassionate country. The reason we are a compassionate country is because we have a legacy of Christian values, uh, God-ordained values that are, were inculcated into us as a culture. And because of that compassion and mercy, we want to help somebody who's trying to destroy themselves or so hurt you, themselves. You, the Bible teaches compassion. Yeah. It's, a, it's an imperative that we have. Yeah. As, as God chose and, and uh, loved us— took the initiative to love us. We're to love others also. We're to example that Christ-likeness to others. So it's a, it's a natural consequence to say, no, I want to help you. So in that sense, then somebody who's doing something that's destructive is we should, as Christians of all people, should be trying to help them. That's an impact on us. Yeah. But we're trying to live out Christ in doing that. Now, you know, back to John Adams here, what he said, statesman, my dear sir, may plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone, which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. Those principles, right? When we, the declaration, uh, everybody's created by God. They have unalienable rights that come from God, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And so, so John Adams here is stating what the founding fathers to a large degree understood was that, that if you don't have freedom as a moral absolute from God, freedom for each person, Mm -hmm. then you have nothing upon which to base that liberty. Meaning atheism, you may argue, hey, I think freedom should be the case, but it's just one person's opinion versus another, because if God doesn't exist, then there's nobody's opinion that's greater than any others, uh, at least by any absolute standard. So, so so freedom or liberty or the pursuit of happiness or that we're all created equal can only be established if God exists. Is that, does that make sense? What I'm, what I'm thinking through? <laughs> I think so. There's a, there's a transcendence to God, obviously that there is a moral standard that does not change. An atheistic view of worldview in application can change. It can, it can be self-serving. It can be uh, noble. It can be, um, reasonable, but in reality, uh, it can change and morph over time mm. because there's no absolute with which to compare it to. So, so from time to time, I mean, you can go, you can go anywhere in, in what's acceptable. Uh, for example, the, uh, the, the, I believe it's one of the professors up at, I'm, I'm try, I can't remember if it's, I think it's Pepperdine. 
uh, recently said that he believes it's okay to uh, to kill a baby up to two years after it's born. Yes. And so, and so that's what you're referring to. That yes. that can change. That Once viewpoint. the sanctity of life aspect is changed or modified, and you make an exception to it, like an unborn child is just a piece of tissue, or it's property, or it's just the the mother's um, right to her own body supersedes that of life itself. Then it's then the the classic phrase slippery slope does apply. Uh, you start to look at that as a life that's arbitrary. And whether and if it's born with major, if that child is born with major physical, you know, problems and everything else, mm-hmm. you say, well, if I would have aborted it, you know, fifteen minutes earlier, this wouldn't be an issue. It's when does that stop? And that's what that philosophy is about. Hey, give them two or three years to find out how they're going to be. Are they going to be worth keeping, or is there value to them or not? I say, no. God says there's intrinsic value in life from conception on, mm. all the way to natural death. And what we've seen is the clipping away of both ends of the life spectrum, both in utero as well as physician-assisted suicide on the other end. Mm, Okay. My guest tonight is Frank Kaser. Stay with us. We're talking about the Bible and politics. How do we, what's our role in government? Are we supposed to be, what does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? That's what Jesus said. So we'll talk about that when we come back and we'll talk a little bit about some of the presidential candidates or or, uh, Republican uh, candidates. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 730 to 530, and Saturdays, 730 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Do you have one-button espresso machines in your home or business? They make delicious coffee drinks, but they're not maintenance-free. Express Fix Coffee is San Diego's source for coffee and espresso machine repair, sales, and service. Call Dave Martin at Express Fix Coffee for new and used espresso machines, repairs, parts, and accessories. They'll save you time and money. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. Learn more at ExpressFixCoffee.com. There's got to be more than going back and forth From doing right to doing wrong Cause we were taught that's who we are Come on. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. And we are on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. My guest tonight is Frank Kaser, and he is an expert on biblical... Uh, Politics, essentially applying the Bible to politics. Uh, he has been a pastor elder for 25 years and been involved in Christian activism for 25 years. He uh, knows a ton about this stuff, and he has a program called the Christian Statesman Internship Program. Runs for about 10 months and covers all kinds of subjects. They have all kinds of amazing guests, including um, senators, right, or congressmen, and uh, so forth. So, if you're interested, I encourage you to get in touch with him. Uh, his website is csipsd.org csipsd.org and if you've been keeping track of the polls you know that in this past week Marco Rubio got a big boost 
he uh, has kind of leaped ahead a little bit in the polls. There's some back and forth between him and Jeb Bush and others. We still got Donald Trump holding uh, holding on to the first place position. Ben Carson real close behind him. And uh, Frank, I wanted to kind of throw this your way. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, among the? Uh, I know you're going Republican, but do you have a favorite among the Republican uh, uh, people there? <laughs> well, there's, endorse, there's actually endorse several. anybody. Uh, I liked Scott Walker originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, too bad he he, he um, uh, left the field. Uh, Rick Perry, I liked. I like uh, Marco Rubio. I like uh, uh, Ted Cruz. I like Ben Carson. I like uh, Carly. So I'm taking it. You're not. You're not going to endorse anybody. <laughs> uh, not at this point. You're no. dodging. You're do- you're very good at politics. We uh, have, there's a, there's a great field out there. <laughs> there are solid individuals, and I love it when they can get into the issues and talk about what their thoughts are on it, but also share from their own life. Yeah, so I, it's been fun to watch this. Now you know you're not you're you're an elder on your board, and you're not speaking from a pulpit here. But uh, the Johnson Amendment was passed in I believe it was 1954, which essentially said that pastors were not allowed to speak on political issues. And so my understanding, and I, I'm I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, is a lot of pastors kind of backed off and got scared because they were like. I don't want to lose the tax exempt status of the church. The IRS will attack us. And so a lot of people backed off. And do you think that uh, that has played a role in lessening the influence of, uh, you know, Christians, uh, people who believe in the Bible on uh, politics and government and, and the public sphere? Absolutely. I think it's an, I, personally, I think that's an excuse. It's, it's a convenience to kind of walk away from what our, Salt and light mandate is to go out and influence for for God's glory and the spread of the gospel. You know, ultimately, no. I, as a matter of fact, that that amendment didn't say they couldn't speak on political issues. It said you could not officially endorse a candidate. Mm. That was the issue they were going after. So they can actually talk about. So so they can say who they like, but they can't like endorse. Is that was that what you're saying? Or I I think they can, they can talk about people who are in office. Say, hey, this is an ungodly thing that they're doing. This legislation is bad. This proposed legislation is good or bad, whatever it may be. Legislation is is up for grabs. You can talk about it. You can preach on it, and you can be involved with it. You don't want to have your church turn into a become a political action committee. Yeah, you don't want to have yeah. any significant amount of the resources that they have go specifically towards politics. That would be wrong, uh, and you know, and that's not really a church. Then it's not fulfilling what its what its primary purposes are, but. A pastor can speak out on the issues of the day and inculcate that into its membership so that they are better equipped to go out and engage in these political issues. As far as candidates themselves, you know, the the best course of action right now is for a pastor not to specifically endorse from the pulpit a particular candidate. Mm -hmm. But they can hold forums. They can have panels of candidates, like locally, specifically, when you get people to come here, you know, easily. uh, For city council, whatever else, invite all the candidates have them talk about what their views of the city are and what their policy positions are and everything else. And that's fine. Or you can have a candidate come in and give their testimony. That's fine. You don't have okay, to invite them that, all. Well, you know, that, there's I all kinds of things they can do. don't know that. They, while they've been, they've been browbeat by various organizations that may not be as sympathetic to our, our worldview. Yeah. That tell them, legally, you can say nothing. You can do nothing. Well, that's an attempt by the other side. Hey, this is all spiritual warfare. When it mm. fundamentally... It comes down to spiritual warfare, and darkness can't stand to have any light out there. So yeah. and we're the light. So in reality, every tool of government will be used, if it can be used, against us. And that's one of them, is just to intimidate whether there's any legal basis to it or not. 
Okay. Huh, very interesting. So there's a lot of freedom out there. And I, I want to um, just encourage our listeners, if you're listening, you know, uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom is a group that is, uh, will defend any Christian or pastor for free uh, if they feel that they are being kind of like uh, what Frank said, browbeat into, you know, quieting down. And there's, there's all kind. this is happening all over the country. And I think more than ever before, um, Christians and those who are like-minded need to get into, you know, need to need to get off the, the stands and, and stop being a fan and, and jump into the game and start making a difference uh, in our culture. Because um, we can see that the culture is being affected uh, incredibly. Uh, not too long ago, uh, we saw the Air Force remove God from its logo because of uh, atheistic pressure. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, the, the famous New Mexico issue with the photographer who was uh, told you have to film a homosexual wedding and was fine, lost the case. And th- these kinds of issues are ongoing. Uh, we see them all the time. So uh, Frank Kaser is my guest. He is has what's called the Christian Statesman Internship Program. And the whole point of it is to teach people how to be able to integrate their biblical faith with uh, politics. Now there, again, as we said, we're not, it's not about being a theocracy or anything. It's about saying, Hey, look, the, what we learn from the Bible actually makes practical sense. If you live it out, it actually causes you to have a better life. Uh, the moral values that are espoused. And this isn't about forcing one person's morals on another person. Somebody's morals are going to be legislated. And that may be the person who says, I'm a, you know, I'm, opposed to what would be a good example uh i'm opposed to uh pot or or marijuana being used for recreational use versus those who say i'm for that and the bible clearly states uh, i don't want paul says i don't allow my body to be mastered by anything right um i master my own body and that god has called us to be in control one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control rather than something else controlling your body so there's just all kinds of ways. There's what, what other ways, Frank, are we able to apply the scriptures directly as a Christian statesman? Um, is there anything off the top of your head that from a practical standpoint and, and what's happening in the class as we live our daily lives, uh, how does this inform our politics? Some like concrete examples of that. Uh, well, you could well, just watch the evening news and I would maintain Every issue that comes up on the evening news, and I don't care whether you watch Fox News or CNN or CBS, what have you, mm-hmm. there is there are going to be principles that undergird an understanding of what that issue means, the importance of it, and what the implications are. What you're going to be doing, what you're going to have, those being spoon-fed a certain view of that issue. And I think that the challenge for us, and I, literally, it is every issue that's out there. There's a moral basis to it. Every law that's passed has a moral basis to it. It is not neutral. I will say one thing. The only thing I know of that's neutral as a tool is government itself. I've, I've said for years, government is a morally neutral tool. The question is, how is it going to be used? And who is going to use it? And if we refuse to use it for, for righteous purposes, then somebody else is going to use it for unrighteous purposes. That's why we want to restrain government, because it's, it's a manifestation of the nature of man multiplied many times over. So as, if we as Christians become engaged and involved in politics, we can use that tool the way it's supposed to be used, within the limitations that, that God's word 
applies to it. It's to commend and uplift the good and punish the evildoer. If we don't define who those are, somebody else will. Absolutely. My guest is Frank Kaser. We're going to be right back, and we're going to talk about what is the distinction between a moral issue and a political issue, or is there a distinction? Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. In 1947, Gordon Tucker began serving San Diego County families. Today, the family tradition continues with two stores, Tucker's Valley Furniture and Cash and Carry, both right across the street in El Cajon at Maine and Mollison. Whether you want today's modern, eco-friendly furniture or authentic Amish furniture from solid cherry wood built in America, let the Tucker family serve your family. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. A proud sponsor of Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. I will Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. And you can stream the show all over the world at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. I'm talking to Frank Kaser here, uh, local in San Diego. Uh, he is a pastor elder up at... Grace Baptist Church. Grace, oh, Grace Bible Church. Grace Bible Church. Excuse me. Grace Bible Church up in Escondido. And uh, he has a program called CSIP, the Christian Statesman Internship Program. And we're talking about what does it mean to practically apply the Bible to political issues? And that can be, you know, everything from issues like uh, the transgender issue in bathrooms. You know, Houston uh, in Texas, they just recently voted against allowing men to use women's bathrooms. Uh, and the argument was, hey, everybody should be able to use every, anyone's bathroom. It's, it's uh, for equality's sake. They recently voted that down. Ohio recently voted down pot. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things happening all over the country. And especially in 2016, that's going to be the case. There's going to be all kinds of issues being brought up all the way from war and how we respond to refugees in Syria uh, down to issues like the environment. Um, so how do we apply the the you know, I know over in Rancho San Diego, the the church I'm a part of Skyline Church, they're trying to put up uh, working on getting together a senior citizen home. But they're not allowed to put it up uh, for a variety of reasons, including endangered uh, birds and stuff like this. How do we apply the Bible, for example, to the environment, uh, Frank? Okay. Well, but let me preface this by saying virtually any issue in the public domain is a complicated issue. Mm. And I think as Christians, we first have to be very careful. We don't use just a bumper sticker answer. Yeah. You know, the Bible says this and that's it. That rests the case. Well, Life is a little more complicated than that. Sure. I believe the Bible has the answer. It has the principles that apply. So even like the environment or global warming or climate change, whatever it is, those are very complicated, diverse types of problems. But in general, if you took the environment, I mean, we get painted on the conservative side as being we don't care about the environment. We will, you know, 
strip mining. We don't care about fracking. We don't care about mm-hmm. all this stuff. It's just to be consumed. We're a consumer of it. That's the way it is. We're going to kill the planet. Kill the planet. Yeah. You know? On the on the other side, all the baby all the baby seals are going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. On the other side, though, there is such a, a, a an emotional view of protectionism against the, doing anything to the created order around us to preserve it as much as possible. It, it, it basically is a worship of the earth itself. So those are kind of the two extremes. One is it's just there for utility. Use it. Who cares? The other one is making a God out of it. And I would offer up, you know, and I, and I think this is true issue after issue after issue. The biblical, the biblical stance on these issues is what I call the moderate position. Unfortunately, it gets <laughs> thought about in the political terms. But in reality, it's the middle ground, and that is, no, this is the created order. There is a creator. It's, he's created this creation for us to enjoy, to have dominion over, as we know out of Genesis, but also to be good stewards of it. That means conservationism, which is you use it because you need to to provide for your family, society, economics, whatever it is, but you preserve it for the next generation. You handle it in a good steward stewardship manner. That's a biblical mandate. So there is a balance between how we use the created order, and we do this to honor God. That is the, the center spot, mm-hmm. the sweet spot, if you will, in the, I would maintain, in how we deal with the, the earth. And it has to be worked out, but in reality, what happens is the argument gets set that we get pushed, we are painted as to the far right of not having any concern for that. We've almost lost that position but we're to be the good stewards of the earth. Mm-hmm. And part of it, we kind of walked away from that battle. We've allowed that particular issue to be framed for us. So when it comes up, we're always on the defensive. Yeah. It can be capital punishment. It can be abortion. It can be same-sex marriage. It can be debt. It can be, you, you, name an issue. And I would maintain there, there's, a, there's biblical principles that apply mm. that are going to provide the proper balance. Now, you know, uh, my contention, you know, is that, you know, in the public schools, ever since 1962-63, prayer and Bible reading were taken out of the public schools. And from there on, you had kind of an agnostic bent in the schools moving forward, or more of an agnostic bent. And so what's happened is people have lost sight of how you apply biblical principles without, quote, you know, this idea that you're creating a theocracy. Um, and... You know, there there may be people going out there, well, you want to apply p- biblical principles to the government, but what about all the other religions out there? What about Buddhism? What about Hinduism? What about Islam? And how would you respond to that? What what would your viewpoint be there? Well, I, I'd say bring them on. I think those worldviews are inconsistent, mm. and I don't think they will stand the test if you compare them to a biblical worldview. So what I've been studying this for, for, yeah. a whole, for a long time, and I find the Bible to be internally consistent. It's inerrant, and it's not fallible. Okay. It is authoritative. And so I would put that worldview against any other ones. As far as the school, I would say, hey, we need to know about these other religions. I think that's fine. Yeah. But let's put them uh, in comparison to what the Bible would say is the proper biblical worldview. The Bible is the the most outstanding piece of Western, if you will, literature ever known for 2,000 years. Why would we ever want to remove that? from schools as far as just a pure study of it. Mm. Western civilization is predicated upon the principles and truths of God's word. So in reality, whether a person accepts that or not, I can't bind their conscience. I can't force a person to believe certain things. 
but I can at least train them and equip them in understanding what those values are and how it was inculcated in our entire nation, both in the colonial times and also in the earlier parts of our country. That was formative in what we are as a nation. So your argument is essentially uh, what whatever viewpoint we have in our culture, there is no viewpoint better than the biblical viewpoint. There's no there, there's no principles out there, be that atheistic or skeptical or humanistic or Buddhism or Islam or whatever, uh, that that the principles that are outlined in the scriptures actually are what caused this country to do well. And as those uh, disappear, that we'll begin to see more grief. That's my contention. You know, okay. it wasn't just pure the Bible, though. There was, there was Western political thought also, mm-hmm. John Locke, yeah. et al., that actually helped. You know, there was an amalgamation of those things. But And, and Buddhism may have some good principles and thoughts and, you know, about compassion, whatever else, that overlap those of, a, of biblical principles. That's okay. But in reality, that worldview is radically different. And it will come up with different conclusions and actions based on that that are not consistent with what we would be as Christians using the biblical worldview. Yeah, and an extreme example of that, of course, would be Sharia law. Recently in Texas, I guess uh, there was a Muslim community that was trying to enforce Sharia law. They actually had their own Sharia kind of little police force uh, going around trying to enforce it. And uh, Sharia law was voted down in Texas. They said, sorry, you can't use any law but constitutional law. And and the argument here from from what you're saying is that, look, obviously, we don't want our country to end up looking like Saudi Arabia or Iran, uh, which is based on Islamic law. We want it to be based on Christian philosophy, uh, Christian principles, biblical principles. Yeah. Exactly. The, the government is entrusted with the sword. Romans 13 tells us that the church is not. We use the sword of the spirit. OK, it's influence. That's reasoning. That's reality itself brought to bear as well as biblical principles so the government will perform the functions it's been ordained to do for our good. Frank, I just want to thank you so much for being on the air tonight. Uh, It's been a blessing having you. And um, I want to encourage anybody out there who's listening. This is the Christian Statesman Internship Program. I think it's going to grow. It's in its first kind of... uh, iteration out there and uh it's going to get bigger and bigger he's and uh i i just hope it it continues to expand and do do fantastic because i think uh it's something that's very much needed and is going to make a big impact on our culture starting here in san diego i'm glad you started it here and uh then moving out and beyond so thanks frank for being on the show tonight thank you kevin Okay, we'll be back next week. We're going to continue talking about the Bible and politics. I have more guests coming on. We're going to talk about these issues and get real down deep into understanding these issues. So stay with me. I'll be, I'll be back next week, 4 to 5 p.m., AM 1170, The Answer. Have a fantastic night. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, a regular feature on AM 1170, The Answer. Learn more about Kevin and his work online at his website, educateforlife.com. That's educateforlife.com. You'll find great resources, ideas, and even video classes there to help you grow and understand what in the world is happening. Encourage your friends to listen for great guests and intelligent analysis of the stories that shape our lives. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, exclusively on AM 1170. The answer. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be.